Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Greetings, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Fifth Column Podcast. That, that was, was really awesome. Good. That was great, Coco. That, you five. hit that perfectly. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your, it's mostly weekly. I, I don't want to hear any complaints. We're allowed to take a little bit of time off. You'll be fine. We, we're back. Anyways, wow. You on we're vacation. Back and it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. It's going to be potent. You, you got so many good things in store for you tonight. To 1.5 I'm, I did. I'm yeah. Camille Foster. That's I'm who Matt wrong. Welch is talking about. I do various things at Freethink. You do and various I, pills I also at do the Fifth Column. A lot, I mean, well, really just one pill. It's Adderall. Yeah. Generally the short you, acting. You fly. 10 to 15 milligrams at a time, um, often twice a day. Uh, often keeps this, twice by a day. the way, is like, you know, Sammy Sosa getting up to the plate, yeah. turning to the crowd and saying, I'm doing steroids. Yeah, you know? it's true. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's not like that yeah, at all. You're telling them the secret. I've, I've the been telling juice. them the secret since the beginning yeah, of this podcast. New listeners, you never know. And, and I've, I have been advocating for methamphetamine use um, amongst young people and adults, anyone, essentially anyone who wants to achieve excellence in their craft. So if you're an Olympian, say a gymnast who oh, in oh. the past has had great success and you don't plan on doing that anymore, yeah. you probably shouldn't take Adderall. You know what I mean? You just quit. We should probably just quit. In just the quit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just quit. Yeah. I'm having a bad day. You know, in the Olympics. Yeah. I think I'm just going to quit. This is the new standard for sports and athleticism in the United States. We don't do gold medals. No, more. no, no, you know, silver. No, we have a, you know a what? Goal. Why meddle at all? Why no. try? Exactly. You know what? We love you more because you didn't even try. You didn't compete. And Matt Welch is here at a Large Breeze magazine. I thought Michael we, Moynihan I thought is we here. Do that. Vice News. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and and the guys the guys are all here. We are assembled uh, in New together. York together. together. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah. I, I was uh was away. I was in uh, in Cancun or I, I flew into Cancun. I was in Playa de Carmen, staying in this wonderful villa with some friends, and we had. An extraordinary time. And then I came here to New York and mm. I'm delighted to be here. Delighted to be with you gentlemen uh, before you Matt are, is away you are delighted to be here because you did text the other day that you, uh, you love New York. I you get that feeling when you come back. I do. I do love New York and it's nice to see New York coming back. It I feels, stepped on a rat the other day. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. That's super New York. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah. it's, there are things about it that are great. There are other things that are not the so rat great. was dead, by the way. Well, I didn't kill it, but it was dead on the street. Well, that's, and I that's, came out from the subway yeah. and there was a man who I thought was going to relieve himself on the subway. And I was like, oh man, thank God I'm off. And I came up and I was like, oh, freedom. And I stepped on a dead rat. Mm. And then I was like, man, this is, where's a beam? <laughs> this, is some, this is some old New York shit. So these things are back. We're back. Uh, we're back in full force in New York. Yeah. There's still rats all over. Um, I've, I've been putting the finishing touches on this, this, extraordinary Amy Cooper um, worldwide exclusive interview thing, um, which will be premiering large portions of on Barry Weiss's podcast. I am, I am told this is happening next week. That is what I am told. And I, I think people will find this illuminating and informative. Uh, there are many things about this story that most people don't know. If you've been listening to this fine podcast for a while, you know more than most people, but even you, Dear listener, um, are not privy to some of these things because we we found things that other people ain't find yet. Audio that ain't, ain't nobody heard yet. Can I can I ask you a question? Because I don't Please. think I know the answer to this, despite having listened to some of this and uh, talked to you about it. Yeah. 
and this is actually probably good for people to know going into this thing that will drop next week, yeah. is that I'm not even sure that you know it to think of this at the end of it. I mean, hmm. you have a, certainly a perspective. You've absolutely done some archaeology here and dug out some totally fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we talked about some of this today, you were like, you know, this this it's complicated. And it wasn't like, oh, this is a slam dunk that everything was wrong. A lot of stuff was wrong. People went with a narrative that was, you know, we've seen this a lot in the last year right. from Covington and a bunch of other stuff that was a little more complicated. And I'm just selling this to people. Camille didn't come in saying that this is this is the new narrative. This is just a complication of it. And there's a lot of interesting details that you don't know. So it's really interesting. Yeah. And, so. and I'm, I'm not going to give too much of the game away here. And I have teased some of these things for the patrons of this fine podcast. So if you are a patron, you can go yeah. download that and listen to it if you haven't already. And you will get some background on what to expect when you're expecting. Mm-hmm. Yes. See what I did there? We also yeah, have a tape uh, of Camille. We might drop this soon uh, in which OJ tells him that he actually is guilty. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was like, if I definitely did it, <laughs> Camille Foster. While they're Certainly. smoking stogies and, yeah. Miami. But yeah. the funniest thing is, uh, is that people always reference the fact that you, Matt Welch, <laughs> Said in an early episode, first episode, first episode five year. plus years ago, right? Five years ago, yep. that uh, OJ was innocent. innocent. And then, um, if you listen to that, I don't. You shouldn't come away thinking that you think OJ is innocent, but people did. So I just want uh, you to send emails to Matt Welch mm-hmm. at um, what is it? Working for change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, working for OJ.com. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, let loose the juice.org. I, uh, I used to work for workingforchange.com and it was, that's right. it was the uh, the phone uh, uh, phone company's website. Yeah. Oh, um, that's oh wow. Work, it was yeah. working assets. They had a political oh, department inside yeah. of the lefty phone company. They would like shave up your uh, your phone bill. And give it to give it like, to like abortionists. Like, yeah, stuff. like Nicaraguan rebels. Or yeah, something. they would. Yeah, <laughs> and to Sandinistas. They're the ones who sent me to cover Ralph Nader. But I had a, a regular column there that was called the uh, fifty dollar outrage because that's how much they paid me for the column. Wow. <laughs> oh, and this is a totally unrelated thing, but yeah. I'm going to squeeze it in right now because yeah, I just saw this. Let's pinch it off. Um, we that's gross. Thank you. We uh, had talked about this. Uh, do you remember when James Carville was saying a bunch of stuff recently, right? And he said, uh, <laughs> you know, he's all, come on, cotton, I can't believe it. Sabadabba. And like, no idea what he's saying. But at one point it was clear. And he said, you know, Democrats have to speak to people not like they're in the faculty lounge, but right. as if they are, you know, re- regular people. That was enough, apparently, to make him a slight public enemy number one. And last night or two nights ago, I just saw this. Stephen Colbert does this thing where he interviews people. They interview people with like these animated characters. Uh-huh. And it's like this drawing. I can't remember. It has some clever title, like drawing the news or whatever. sketch. I can't remember. But they did it with him. And it was this sustained attack on him. To him, and he was getting very frustrated about, and it was like about, you know, cancel culture. And so, like, literally, the late night comedy show attacked James Carville uh, for speaking out against this stuff about, you know, saying basically nobody in Democratic voter land knows what Latinx is, for instance. And this was taken up by Stephen Colbert. They booked him just to humiliate him on this subject. Stephen Colbert, who was like for five years. People were not sure where his politics were like, yeah, I don't know. Does he really hate Bill O'Reilly or does he kind of love him? He certainly can speak the language. He has yeah. 75,000 kids. He's probably conservative. 
Well, he's a, he is also a, he was a Sunday school teacher too. I think that confused okay. people at some point. So anyway, I just saw that and I wanted people to know about it. Yeah, well, everybody should know. Well, there, there. <laughs> this is one thing you should know, and there, there are plenty of things that we we ought to talk about today. There was a hearing on Capitol Hill today in Congress I'm talking about the January sixth incident ordeal. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I want to get it right. Maelstrom. Yeah. Cataclysm. Up next, Camille Thesaurus Foster. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. it, but it's Low one of those quad. things. Let's call it the local. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's fine. We should probably talk about that. Um, it appears that we have a guilty plea in the case of the Atlanta area spa shooter, which, as we all know, this is when many prominent policymakers and people around the country were insisting that this spree shooter was obviously motivated by racial hate, despite the fact that there didn't seem to be a lot of evidence about that. And there's some interesting new details and wrinkles there, but also the Olympics are in full swing. And there's some interesting developments there that are maybe worth paying attention to, like Team USA, the basketball Team USA. It's the only thing I actually pay attention to in the Olympics. They're stinking it up. And gymnasts are apparently just kind of quitting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Olympics is kind of amazing because you don't even have to watch it no. to just be annoyed by the whole thing. When you see what happened with the gymnastics team, I said to Camille today, I'm like, oh, this, this is annoying me. And I want to say something about it. And I was like, I think I'll get in trouble for saying something about it. And he's like, no, nah, that's not true. Two seconds later, I opened my phone and there was like media items, like Guy, not Guy Benson, um, Buck, Sexton. Buck Sexton, you know, in outrage for attacking Simone Biles. And I was like, I don't know, man. It just seems... Like she said, so she's this horrible uh, vault. You know, she was trying to do this uh, move that is insane. She's like one of the best athletes of all time. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Can't take a thing away from her. She, but she had an off day, right? So she's doing a two and a half time turn. What is it? Like the triple Lindy or the Lusenko or the yeah. Lusenkoism or Lysa something. Um, and then, so she does one and a half and then totally blows the landing. And then she has another, I think on the, on the beam too. And after that, she quits. She says, I'm done. I'm out. And the first reporting on this, because everyone's assuming she's hurt. But I saw her walk away from that. And she was looking like she was fine. And she comes back and says, you know, it's for my mental health. I'm like, this is the Olympics, right? I mean, it's not like, you know, you're playing the the Pawtucket Red Sox or something here. <laughs> We're no longer in Pawtucket. But it was totally shocking to me. But I said something to Camille about this. I was like, you know, this is this is the Naomi Osaka stuff, right? She said, I can't, I got to back out of this for my mental health. So when they interview um, uh, her later, Simone Biles, she references the inspiration uh, to quit <laughs> Naomi Osaka. The weird thing about all of this is that number one, it's the Olympics. Number two, it is this point now, and I think that Instagram is responsible for like 90% of this, is to be very, very public about quote unquote mental health issues. And what happens in response is a flurry of people telling you how brave you are. The bravery of this. And I say this as somebody who has crippling oh my mental health issues. You <laughs> like, people don't know I half of it. Depression. I don't want anyone to know about it, but I talk about it on the podcast. So obviously I want everyone to know about it. But the um, I can't imagine, now everyone's drifting on these things. I can't imagine talking about it in that sense and just saying, you know, I want to protect my own mental health because I didn't do so well in the competition and I'm one of the best athletes in the world. The whole thing is just Let's, I mean, let's make this personal uh, for a second. I am uh, sad when, you know, Brother Moynihan is mm -hmm. in a dark place. Um, 
And I'm also proudest of him mm-hmm. when he fucking goes to work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Seriously. Like, yeah. like it's the, the best part is not like the part where the high fives and stuff is yeah. like, when you pick yourself up off the That's floor, the, yeah, 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 when you yeah. do the, the Captain America thing. Yeah. Right? Admitting that you quit is not bravery. Sorry. I mean, it might be, I don't know. I no, haven't, it's not. Well, I haven't followed it, but it's also the Olympics. It's the Olympics. And, and like the time and like you can extend sympathy and empathy for someone who's in, I mean, she's the best gymnast arguably ever right like the, she's, I, in the, she's in the conversation i think that that's she's probably, in the conversation she does true she has at least on a couple of uh, uh yeah, things yeah. she's she does a thing she's that amazing. nobody else yes. has come close well, to which is the thing that she's screwed up when you when you have some achievements and you've got some physical gifts etc cetera, etc cetera, we can say that you're very good but the difference between michael jordan and any number of other players is michael jordan like always shows up whatever the hell is wrong with him we celebrate the flu game, this playoff game yeah. where Michael Jordan shows up. He'd been throwing up the night before. Apparently throwing up. Near death. Yeah. First coronavirus case, by the way. <laughs> Willis Reed and, and he wasn't plays, hurt. He was he just limping. Anyway, he plays through it. They carry him off the court because he can barely yeah. stand up at the end He's of the game. Over. And it's, it's a remarkable <laughs> achievement. We celebrate human achievement in that respect. And the Olympics is supposed to be about this sure. like, pinnacle of human achievement. It's shit that none of us could possibly do. In fact, none of us are willing to work hard enough to be able to do that thing. I went to work out this morning. I did like 20 burpees and I was like, I'm supposed to do 30. And I thought to myself, you know what? Fuck it. I'm not doing it. Cause I don't have to. Nobody's <laughs> going to get me. And Simone Biles essentially did the same thing today. Like that's kind rate, of the same. He's 260 pounds at the moment. You can't no, see him. I am putting a little extra Yeah, I mean, it is. But, but I mean, that's but true. This, I'm not, but I'm also not an Olympian. And, and you don't go into the presser like after this and say, you know what? We're supposed to be having fun out there. And it just wasn't fun today. Are you kidding me? That that's all you have to do to be an Olympian, a gold medalist is have fun. No, you work hard. You're like bleeding. You, you break bones. You're sick. She's been that person up until now, which is fine. But, and but, that's like a good question, 10 years but of what being we're awesome. talking about here is the changing perspective of the population in general or Americans broadly who seem to be gravitating towards this poll of, you know what? Today, you're a real champion because you didn't, didn't someone, even Didn't compete. someone say that? Yeah. Thank you. I just have to say, I was kind of like shocked in the audience. I was yes. watching you on that first vault. I wasn't sure if you were wincing because you were in pain or you're wincing because something happened. Or first, just tell me you're okay. Yes, I'm okay. Just super frustrated how the night played out, but super proud of these girls that stepped up and did what they needed to do. And now we're um, Olympic silver medalists, so it's something that they'll cherish forever. Y'all are shining stars. I have to tell you, you stepped up. We hope America still loves us. By the way. Can I, can I assure you of something? America loves you more. Well, America you. loves you more today after what happened because it thank was incredible you. to watch you guys step up. But just set people at ease, Simone, just for a minute, because every you know people go to the when right. they don't know they go to the crazy yeah, end of, of like oh my gosh something's terribly wrong. Right. But where would you be, where would you put yourself on a scale of one to ten in terms of how you're feeling physically and emotionally? Um, physically, I feel good. I'm in shape. Um, emotionally, that kind of varies on the time in the moment you know uh coming here to the olympics and being the head star of the olympics is not an easy feat so we're just trying to take it one day at a time and we'll see okay well we're you feel us i hope you feel us because today you. we said that you you were it, you you proved that you're a winner today maybe more than any other day Thank i watched you. you get the chalk for everybody yeah. <laughs> i watched you cheer Thank i watched you. you dance with jordan <laughs> there's a there's a one of the great uh, uh pitchers in uh, major league baseball and great characters is Zach Granke. 
um, who yeah. started off with the Kansas City Royals. Royals yeah. And he's just a, a really weird dude. Like mm-hmm. all of the the burgers, Asperger's, friend burgers. He's yeah. got all of them. He like can't. He's super, super smart and like just doesn't answer any questions. Like go and seek out articles about him because he's a fascinating guy and he's a wonderful pitcher. Um, and uh, he walked away from the game at age like 23 for a year because he just couldn't hack it and um, and like was just thinking that he should do something else. He's also a great hitter. Like he's a really interesting athlete and great fielder too. Um, and we celebrate Zach Granke um, not because he walked away, but mm-hmm. because he walked back and mm-hmm. then became a dominant pitcher and won the Cy Young Award a year. Like what was the name of uh, the guy who played for the Red Sox and the Angels? Uh, Jimmy Pearsall. Jimmy Pearsall. Um, the, what Fear was, Strikes Out. It was called Fear Strikes Out. It yeah. wasn't called like um, – uh, cowardice uh, <laughs> prevails. Hits a pop up. <laughs> it was like <laughs> no. The whole point of it, and, and like Anthony, what's his face? Cowardice is seeing eye single. <laughs> played, played in the movie about him. It was that Anthony he, Perkins. Played Anthony in Perkins, movie, yeah. which is a, a great bit of casting, and it's a pretty good movie too. Um, plays him, and we celebrate it because he like figured it out. Jim Eisenreich, remember him mm-hmm, from the eighties? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Who's like super like twitchy guy? He came back and he hit would hit three hundred. Like like uh, I don't discount anyone's troubles sure, in life, but, but like, I want the, the pinnacle of athletic competition yes, right? uh, yes. and the agony of defeat, but really it's the, uh, the pinnacle, but, you know, of a couple things about it, you know, and I know that's what Camille's point of like, you know, Michael Jordan playing with the flu, you know, Leon Spinks so boxing when he couldn't actually form a sentence anymore. <laughs> well, that's a little different. No, no, yeah. no. That's that's actually <laughs> bravery. Um, Kinda, because I mean, he could I mean, have, you, you have he to actually sat in the have store. the cognitive yeah. capacity to make a decision, yeah. as opposed to yeah, I yeah. guess punch yeah. me again. <laughs> but he keep could, punching me. If he slipped on the canvas, he would have been dead. Yeah. he would have just rattled something and he'd have been dead. That's bravery. But I think the thing <laughs> that makes. Um, me kind of, there's two things about this that really annoy me. Number one is the instinct that like, oh, people are going to just jump all over you if you criticize Simone Biles. You can't do that, right? You can't do it. Like, why not? Like, what is, why is it so bad? Because I think that, you know, things have changed for the better in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we don't want to call somebody a sore loser, right? I mean, you don't want to call somebody stupid when you say like, oh, there's learning disabilities. We kind of, you know, we change our language. But but this is essentially what that is. Because if Simone Biles nailed that two and a half turn, oh, yeah. brilliant, she'd still she be, would, she'd she'd still be competing. She would keep going. She would keep going. Yeah. She's just like, I fucked it up and I'm done. And that was in the team competition, too, by the way. So, I mean, this is kind of crazy that everyone is like, you are so brave for quitting. (laughs) And is there another way of framing it? Of course, people will jump all over you for saying that. But I don't really think that any of the other ways of describing it actually, you know, pass pass muster. The best argument I saw in favor of what she did was that the next two uh, competitions that she would have done were her two most difficult ones. That's the point. And she was, um, and so if she was going to compete with that frame of mind, she was going to hurt the team. I don't think that's that's, the Jane That's fine. You quit because of nerves. I I keep seeing like references to mental, mental health and mental illness. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that's nearly the same thing as just like, I was, I was kind of, I just wasn't there today. I was afraid, which sometimes people say that but they, they play the game anyways. They mm-hmm. get out there and they try some sort of routine. And again, if you're going to sideline yourself because you just can't go today, that's a disappointment. And it's kind of a letdown. And have you let your team down? Sure. Can we be sympathetic because we all have bad days? Sure. And sometimes you have bad days on the worst possible I, day. I sure. That's fine yeah. too. But we don't 
have to celebrate it. I don't think it's bravery to recognize that you've got nerves and then say, I can't go because I feel nervous today. I don't feel like myself. I don't feel up to standard. A pro, a superstar, a gold medalist champion who goes to the Olympics, unless we're just changing the Olympics and this won't be, I'm not going to make a, a stupid joke about like the special Olympics. This will be, wow. like, this will be like, <laughs> you kind of because this is no, special Olympics. You have to win. Yeah. This is something else. This is merit badges for everyone. So the equity Olympics is, is where Simone Biles competes, where even if you don't compete, we love you more than ever. Although you're again, the real hero. The previous 10 years, she won everything. She she's ama- yeah. She's amazing. And, like, it, it, and the thing That's is, fine. is that she's she, better than me, it, it, except it, it, I wouldn't have quit. But is, is <laughs> he would just run like right off the beam. Yeah. Oh my God. But I done a we're cartwheel. at it all. As, <laughs> as Camille Foster's doing a double. Oh my God. He's taking a pill on the beam. 25 milligrams. Oh my God. He's done it. I would have nailed my round <laughs> off. That's what I would have done. But the, 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 the back tuck was amazing. But that's the thing about it is that, is that any invocation of mental health always produces these responses of bravery. What if it's not the right thing to do in a, in a situation where you're having a mental health crisis? What if it's not the best thing to tell people who have, you know, significant, we never heard this about Simone Biles. She might have, it, we don't know. But if it was just, she was losing and she thought, it, you know, she said the weight of the world is on my shoulders. It's like, yeah, that's the job. Uh, that's probably what a pilot thinks when he's, you know, landing 600 people in a plane, right? Is that, yeah, no, it's a pretty serious thing. But, when you say every time that somebody invokes mental health, that this is an act of bravery, is that what we want to show people that when you fail, and this is what this was, this was failure, that this is the way to deal with it as an in mental health thing. You guys have all been here, right? You guys have all been in very different things where you go on stage, mm-hmm. you go on TV, your stomach is in knots, you want to puke and you hate it. And that's been a lot of my life. And you just force yourself to do it yeah. and you get through it and you're like, Oh my God, thank God I got through it. It makes the next time a little easier. And I mean, obviously he's been doing this for 10 years. It's a different thing, but working through this stuff in that way is, I imagine, I don't know this, uh, would be something that people would encourage. I mean, rather than, and I think the most interesting thing that Greg Lukianoff and Jonathan Haidt say in their book, um, uh, which is called what, what, tell me, remind me what it's called. The Coddling, Co- Coddling the American Mind. Yep. And the, the, the first chapter, the premise is that Greg Lukianoff, one of the co-authors, has mental health issues that he's very open about. And he saw what, how people were reacting on campus as the exact opposite of what That's he right. was being right. taught from people that were doing cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT. And it was to, to get a confrontation with the thing that, that drives you you know, mad in a way, rather than saying we have to protect people from this. And I just wonder when this, and of course we don't, you know, we don't know a lot about this now, but from her own words, it seemed like I was having a hard time and I just, it was too much for me. So I quit. Okay. That's people, that's fine. That is fine. To Camille's point, it's the celebration of it that I think is crazy. It's the rest of us. It's, it's kind of nuts. Exactly. Right. Like the if, keyboard's awesome. But what uh, you're supposed to do is just tap out. Yeah. That's tap out America. T- well, that, that's that actually we should that Nike. Mm. Just do it. <laughs> tap out. Still two words. That works. Tap Nike. Out. Tap the fuck out. Yeah. Tap out. <laughs> wow. We're done here. Tap out. <laughs> We're done here. I'm finished. Yeah. I, I can't. 
I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, just do it. I can't. That's a serious bronze medal idea right <laughs> there. No, no, I think you just I think No you... medals. Thank you very much, no. sir. I don't want any damn medal. In fact, how about the team goes out and get a medal? I'll take one too. Fine. Yeah, yeah. fine. Fine. I'll pose with you. But I think I can't. Yeah. Maybe it's the silver medal I idea can't. from the bronze one. I can't. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. But the, the other thing, I sent you guys this clip of, um, what's, did you know the guy, that guy, the, the ESPN dude? who was on CBS this morning. Oh, what the hell is that guy's name? So he's not an ESPN, uh, uh, you know, TV guy, but I think he's, he's a columnist for the magazine and they were just bigging him up. Like the most famous guy. I'd never heard of the guy, uh, columnist ever. And they were talking to him about the Olympics and he just went on one of the most insane five minute things. I have like in every question they asked him, he turned it around to something about politics. And it was one of these great examples of politics infect, infecting everything. Do you have a clip? Can you play a little bit of it? I, I can play, play it. Yeah. Play it. I want to, cause I'd love to hear you guys reaction. Joining to us now is Bill Roden, a writer at large for the undefeated ESPN's website about the intersection of sports, race, and culture. The legendary sports writer is also the host of the Bill Roden on sports <laughs> podcast. It's been a conspicuously slow start for team USA in a couple of areas. Should we be surprised? Well, I think we should be uh, humble. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. this whole last year in this country is about entitlement and privilege. Yeah. And nobody epitomizes that more than basketball. Do you look like, at the Olympics differently now? Do you even way, think we should be happen? Yeah, yes. yeah. I mean, I've covered like about five of them. And, and, and I was telling you, my favorite part of the Olympics was always going to the stadium for the opening ceremonies. I yes. love that I too. love the opening ceremonies, yeah. March of Cotton. Then I just realized, you know, man, particularly after these last four years, I had it wrong. Nationalism is not good. Mm-hmm. We've seen the rise of white nationalism. What? Nationalism is not good. And also this whole idea, I, I keep thinking back on the uh, Capitol riots, mm-hmm. and I saw a lot of, um, you know, U.S. flags. Right. So right. now when I see the flags, <laughs> the flag raises, what, 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 what America am I living in? These Olympics uh, should be a time of, of soul searching and, and winning sometimes is anesthetic to soul searching. But I keep thinking Trying about the athletes sports. who have trained yeah. and trained and trained to be here. This that is that their part moment. is great. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I love that. I mean, you know, we're athletes. I love that, but athletes are just held hostage. Yeah, because they've got to be there. And, and I just think that the Tokyo Olympics, the NFL, NBA sending the wrong message with 80,000 fans. They're sending the message this is over. Yeah. Oh, COVID. And it, yeah, so that we, COVID is over. We now know it ain't. It, it's not over, but you're sending a message. You turn on TV, and you're going to see 60,000 people, and, yeah. and the NFL is gearing up, and college football is gearing up, and you're going to see all these people together, and that sends the message that it's over. Well, do you so think they should have, should they have canceled the Olympics? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I did. of course they should have canceled the Olympics, oh, wow. but, but our highest value now is money. He wants the disillusionment of the United States. Yes. <laughs> That's the only thing that would satisfy him. So he looked back at the last year, and he then he saw the opening ceremony. He hadn't thought about this before. Yeah. The opening ceremony was what, you know, you know got this pebble loose from his, yeah. uh, under his shoe. Which he used, he used to love it. He used to love it. But now he love hates it. it because it's a love celebration of white yeah, he's in his 60s. <laughs> Life has been good. Everything has been amazing in America. And then because of the Capitol riot, he was like, what am I watching here? <laughs> this seems because they were carrying American flags. Yeah. So, you know, if someone is carrying an American flag and they're a bad person, you're something bad, then you have to rethink the concept of a country going all the way back to 1776. One of the craziest things, and th- th- this thing gets crazier and crazier. He keeps going and keeps going and getting more political about things. And the Simone Biles more. thing, too. How many times? How many times? 
he say antithetic? He's a, he, it's antithetic. I'm doing that from now <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, I think he's talking about his the ant- double C is implied. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the amazing thing about this is like it, it is the laziest, stupidest thing in the world is to take any representation of the flag when it shows up as an opportunity to have some dumb uh, conversation about your politics. They're like, no, no, no. This is important. The important conversation. It's not important. What you're trying to say about America and about, you know, black, it's not important. What is We're that? watching sports. Yeah. There's nothing important about your opinion about what happened last year, which in one sense is adjudicated in, you know, a, a, a legal case in Minneapolis. And another is there's homicides going on. And then there's people up with a woman with the hammer throw and she wouldn't face the flag. And she's an, and there's a whole thing about activist athletes that he talks about. But like, you know, there is the wrong question to ask and the wrong conversation to have is should this stuff be separate. Yeah. Okay, fine. You can have that conversation and maybe you should keep it separate. This is probably not something that's, you know, afflicting local bowling leagues, but people have a big platform. I get why they do it. It's not that it's inappropriate. It's then it is aggressively, offensively, painfully stupid. The conversation is, I've discovered that things in America happen that are bad. And so therefore, I think I have to rethink the entire project. Could you imagine if the Japanese, this is, this is let's just pick something at random. This mm. is at random. Mm. They decided to come up. They're going to go up and they're like, we are going to not take a knee because that, that's been that's been taken. That's been trademarked. We're going to do backflips or we're going to lie on our backs or we're going to do handstands because of the way we treated comfort women in Korea. Yeah. Or the way we have, you know, been nationally and militaristic in the 1930s were expansionist and imperialist. Every country can do this. Every There is a, such a pomposity on behalf of these American athletes or these commentators, especially because athletes aren't really doing this right now, that says that we should tell the world it's always we are the focus of everything. We are. They believe they go to Tokyo and they just like, oh, are we in a Chinatown somewhere? Like, honestly, that's like they have no sense of anything outside this world. And that's everybody. Right. And they're like, we need to make our political statement. It's obnoxious, not because the politics are dumb. And and they are, I think. It's obnoxious because you are going to an international event and you're saying, let us have some focus on what's happening in the American scene when it comes to race. Every country can do this. I think there was a, in the same way that we have long observed uh, how long it takes NPR in the morning to go from zero to, you know, institutional fill in the blankism, which is, I think, five to 10 seconds. It's usually five to 10 seconds. Um, (laughs) This is how long this particular interview went from question about sports. Yeah. Answer about politics. Privilege and question about sports. Answer about politics. Question about sports. <laughs> answer about politics. This is like this is kind of like, it's like, like reading the New York Times sports section, uh, which <laughs> yeah. no one does. I, I can't imagine ever reading the, the sports section because I like sports. Yeah. Um, uh, like it, it's that in itself is the biggest tell. I mean, listening to this guy in, on the audio, and this is the first time that I heard it, although you sent it uh, earlier. Um, it reminds me that when you have a lucid, crazy person on yes. the subway. Yes. <laughs> Who yes. won't stop talking? Like, oh my God, he's insane. He's just really and like, but like, fun. We'll yeah. like circle in on some pretty good points about the NSA <laughs> yeah. and the yeah. listening in the trees and this, <laughs> this stuff, but like never yeah. pauses for breath. By the way, that guy is Andrew Napolitano. And <laughs> what? Bottom of yeah, your guts. Yeah. They're, they're listening to your phones. <laughs> we just filled in all this. It's usually right. It it's never, right. it never stops is the point. Yeah. It like, and you can be high functioning there yeah. and you can have a lot of intelligence behind it. But at some point, what humans do 
when they're talking about a thing is that they stay on the subject of the thing and maybe show some appreciation for it. I think there's the, the dead spin um, kind of a uh, poison. And I say this with some affection, at least towards at least one or two people who've worked for that's been over the years. Uh, but like, okay, sports is an opportunity to talk about all of the things that I hate about politics. Yes. And like, if it's just that, then you're like Dave Zirin and, mm-hmm. and Dave Zirin on a good day can be good and has been good in the past, but uh, those days aren't very frequent. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's like a guy in the subway. He makes an occasional, <laughs> makes point. occasional yeah. point. Yeah. at some point, like sports has to be part of it yeah. somewhere. The, and, the, the, and, and I'll just one final thing on this because you can, it's just so frustrating to me when it, the flag thing, cause that is usually the pivot point. That's where we jump off. There's a flag. I'm going to turn my back to it. I'm going to set it on fire. I'm going to do whatever. I don't give a shit what you do with it. But the way the conversation goes now is that you have to choose the bad things about American history, and we have a ton of them, right? And every country does, is that when that flag goes up, it is so simple-minded and intellectually lazy and kind of morally bankrupt too, to look at that and say, he, I'm just only going to associate it with all the negative things that have happened in this country. There are very few countries where that you that can't be the guy. I mean, you can look at the Zimbabwean flag and say, that's Robert Mugabe, <laughs> or you can say that's, you know, liberation of Rhodesia. I mean, right. there's so many things you can think of, but why are we taking this conversation and narrowing it to this point? And this is the only constructive point you can make because otherwise you're some jingoist kind of Newsmax OAN person. And I'm sure there's a bunch of idiocy on that side too, but I don't really see that in the mainstream press. Why, when you're doing that, are you saying, I am going to think of all of the failures of this country and then say that is the representative kind of sample of who we are as a country. And that is just lazy to me because it is entirely up to you as a citizen to take control of that, not cede it to people. This is always the case in Europe. The St. George's flag in England, it's like the, the really far right took it like, no, no, take your flag back. It's the same thing in Sweden. It was always like you saw people, one person told me this one time, if you see a Swedish flag flying on somebody's house somewhere in the, the country, it's the Sweden Democrats. It's the far right. It's like, no, that's your flag too. Why are you allowing that to be it? Like they want to cede it to the Sweden Democrats. Like they want to cede it to all the bad stuff that America has done rather than saying this has been, you know, tempered by a lot of pushback and a lot of great things that have happened too. And it's not that I have a vision of American history in one particular direction. I just find it maddening to see people say, I saw a flag, man in capital had flag. I see flag on TV. Now I cry. It's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Think in your mind, what is the meme that comes to your mind on Twitter or in social media uh, that has to do with the American flag? Think about it. Everyone out there, here's mine. And you'll see it every day. And it's usually like when it's a, it's an America. Fuck yeah. Moment. It's like the kind of uh, hillbilly Florida man guy who's mm-hmm. in the middle of a hurricane and he's like half naked wearing like Daisy Dukes and he's got a gigantic flag and it's like <laughs> flapping in the wind and he's holding it up and he's just like, yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it, but what does that communicate? That communicates like America. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. That communicates like self mocking, but also fuck you patriotism. They nothing wrong with that. In all the people that live in the neighborhoods that we live in, we all live in very similar neighborhoods in different places. I enjoy all the things in the neighborhood, right? I enjoy all these things that are very Brooklyn. I'm sure you enjoy all these things that are very Tiburonian. I'm just going to make up that mm, word. Yeah. Um, and they're associated with a group of people to me. And to most people, they are like, you know, the latte sipping, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I, they, I don't care. What, I don't, they don't get to have it. I like it. I like it too. I'm going to take it. 
And that's like a sense. Too. Yeah, yeah, I like that. The oat milk is very good. Uh, but, you know, it, it is that thing of like, well, the, the hillbillies down there, they take the flag and I'm going to let them have it. And I'm going to boo everybody who does it. And that's essentially what this guy's saying is that, no, I, I, I like people who have bad ideas. Some have, have good music, have good cultural. I, I like all that. I'm going to take it and I'm not going to say, well, that's only theirs. And if you do that with the flag, that is just lazy. The flag means not, it's not a meaningful kind of thing. I don't get all, you know, in a tizzy about it and say, you have to fold it the right way. You can't burn it. You can't do this. But this is actually the right did this in the nineties with the flag burning amendments and things like that. And now the flag obsessions on the other side. So anyway, it's a lot about a flag. So there's a couple of different things that, that we could pull on here. Um, new CDC proclamation coming down, indicating that vaccinated people in COVID hotspots should resume wearing masks. And uh, precisely how COVID hotspots are defined and what's going on there, Matt, Florida. I suspect you actually have some some detail on that. But there Plus are 100 cases per 100,000 in the last seven days. So what does that mean? I mean, what kind of places are we looking at? 46.3% of the country. That is incredible. Mm. That is incredible. And, and it's, it's worth paying attention to precisely what's happening here. I'm looking at the New York Times COVID case tracker um, data, which has like the 14-day change percentage in terms of cases, tests. And hospitalizations. Deaths too, I would imagine. Yes, and deaths. Yeah. And it's interesting to, to just kind of zero in on what's going on here. What seems to be happening here is a circumstance where half the country is vaccinated. In that half of the country that's vaccinated, the most vulnerable parts of the population, particularly older folks, people with, with pre-existing conditions, et cetera, those people have been vaccinated. And to the extent the case count is surging, it's surging in populations that are less vulnerable. Yeah. And if that's the case, why the hell are we behaving as though this is the worst possible well, thing? Here's a question. Are we? Um, the CDC is behaving that way today with its double barrel disastrous, I think, uh, recommendation to have us right now. Like right now, the three of us are supposed to be wearing masks. We're in a small room. We just had like some shallot. Pasta, yeah, really very good. good. Super yeah, good. Very good. Um, uh, we should have doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but our is our who's going to listen to this? And the other the barrel of this, yeah, that's crazy. Which is um, which people will listen to because there's. But uh, wait, is power that, just, just to, to be clear about this? Is so the three of us are in a room. We're all vaccinated, right? And say there's a breakthrough case, these very rare breakthrough cases. The odds of that then breaking through to you guys is essentially non-existent. There was, um, so there was some reporting today, uh, like the same- I've seen mixed reporting on this. The same off the record, like a a breakdown, which must have happened to all reporters. But I saw this at Stat News, which has done some really good uh, medical science reporting. And they're like, an unnamed uh, administration official said- that as of right now, and this is pretty much a direct quote, they have no studies showing that vaccinated people are transmitting the virus to others. At all. At all. They, so even they, if that breakthrough happens, it's probably not going anywhere. So they have clusters and some people who've been vaccinated uh, uh, are part of the cluster, but they haven't yet shown that they are transmitting it to other people. Think about uh, my oldest daughter's uh, middle school, right? Um, the recommendation today is that every school, everyone uh, wears masks forever. So Easy right. has, has been vaccinated. Uh, her teachers have been eligible for the vaccine since mid-January. Mm-hmm. Uh, de Blasio, to his credit, I think, uh, some might disagree, um, has said that all uh, 
New York City public employees have a choice. They can either be vaccinated by September or they can submit to a test once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's especially apropos in places like schools or hospitals or other places that are public facing. So uh, and we live in a zip code where the vax rate for all people is 58 percent, which would rank eighth in the country if it was a state. So um, they want the CDC and uh, in fact, the school has already had this as policy. They want everybody to be vaxxed. The teacher who's been vaccinated already, not vaxxed, but masked. Everyone who has already been vaccinated, the teacher, the students, which is all of them um, after, you know, who are 12 and older. Um, why? Mm-hmm. There isn't any evidence yet that mm. vaccinated people are spreading it. What we do know is that the rates of of getting it and suffering from the Delta variant, which is what we're scared about right now, um, the transmission is higher. It's higher, yeah. But like the proportions in population don't appear to be any different. Yes. And what did we know about the proportions within population up until now? What we knew is that people under the age of 18 in the United States, where there's been more than 600,000 people die of COVID, 337 have died of it. Um, the people it's who- funny because you said that to me today and I said, isn't that number high? It's funny because I thought it was like 280 something, but that's it. I mean, 336, 37 million people in the country, 300 odd under 18 have died. Of those, we don't know how many were from 13 to 18 or 0 to 12. We've got some, this 0 to 4 and 5 to 14. And, they, yeah. they, they don't break them down any specific ways. And also what you're not, we don't know about that is people that have, you know, very bad pre-existing conditions, whether they're sick, from, you know, seriously sick with other things. And that is, I mean, to, to the point about how the Delta variant, which is now the the doom thing that allows every store in Brooklyn to say, you know, swaddle yourself, you know, like you're a Bedouin before you come in because it's the Delta variant, the Delta variant. And of course, nobody has any idea what they're talking about in this. And the spread is obviously uh, more aggressive. And that seems to be the consensus view. Nobody asked the second question, are people dying at a faster clip? Are they dying in a more aggressive way? Is it hitting people that are younger, people that weren't dying before? So here's the thing that I thought was interesting this morning. David Leonhardt from the New York Times, who I have disagreed with a lot in the past, who's done stellar work on COVID. And he starts his morning briefing stuff, which is worth always worth reading. He's very, very good aggregator information. Especially about COVID. Very good about COVID. He's a very, very sort of, you know, even-handed guy. He looks at all the evidence. And this is what he said this morning. Uh, what we know, and this is three bullet po- the bullet points, the, the facts that are clear, and these are quick ones, vaccinated, vaccinated people are nearly guaranteed not to be hospitalized or killed by COVID. Mm. And by the way, that runs into two things, because that is what everybody wants to, you know, put out there when you're talking about the unvaccinated, you know, Trumpian people. And that's usually the frame of it. And we're all vaccinated up here in these places like New York City. But then again... They don't really want to say that when it comes to masking, right? <laughs> Just like, you know, you're not going to get killed. Like, no, no, no but we should start wear masks and all that. Second point, among children under 12, and that is my daughter, who remain ineligible for the vaccine, serious forms of COVID are also extremely rare. Children face bigger risks when they ride in a car. 
Yes. And the third point, the Delta variant does not appear to change either of those facts, the first two facts. So here's the thing Ch- that children face bigger risk when they ride in cars. Yes. So your daughter wears a helmet when she's riding in the car. She wears body armor. Yeah. 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 It it, it's actually once because I shot her. You're just, it's and precautionary. She, you yeah. just have to be careful because we don't know. I mean, yeah. low probability, but come on. What's yeah. the, I mean, it's just, come on. She wears the Jeff Bezos spacesuit in the back of the car. <laughs> and uh, the th- here's the funny thing about this. And I was trying to explain this to, to somebody this weekend. I was away with my daughter. We were invited over to a friend's house and this was in Massachusetts. Um, you know, I know the friend a little bit, but they said our daughter-in-law is here and already it was like a nice formal thing. We're all dressed up. Livia is 10 years old. She gets super dressed up. She blow dries her hair. It was very oh, cute. Hmm. She's putting makeup on. We go downstairs and get a call. The daughter-in-law does not want us to come over. What? Because of the Delta variant. No. So I said here, here's what I said. I said, can you just relay to this person that we're all vaccinated? Okay. The person who's the intermediary at the house here is totally reasonable. Comes back. Um, yeah, but Levy is not because she's 10. And I said, okay, good God. <laughs> they have kids too. So apparently uh-huh. I should be afraid of their kids also yeah. when I come. Yeah, They're yeah, little, yeah. little yeah. COVID machines. And I tried to realize it was a, a fool's errand to try to explain this just because Levy's not vaccinated. But imagine you're in a situation, so people don't think about this, that there's 10 people there, 11 people there, 25 people there. One of them is a child who is not vaccinated. Everybody else is. Tell me how that works, that there's something to fear when everybody in a micro version of herd immunity, because Levy is not vaccinated, even if as a 10 year old, she was a, a risk. They just don't get it. You can well, they're go not interested in they're not interested in yeah. the complex details. And I, I mean, I want to I want to try to sharpen this a little bit because we're having this conversation about this thing. And I, I can imagine there's at least someone listening who's like, I mean, come on, guys. Fine. OK, whatever. It's not that risky. But people are afraid. What's the harm in wearing the masks right. a little bit longer? I mean, yeah. what what does it matter? And I imagine there are a couple of ways in which this matters. I mean, one, all of the constant public assertion by people who are supposed to be trusted, knowledgeable officials that suggest that vaccines don't really work, mm-hmm. that they don't necessarily keep you safe. Absolutely. If anything is going to give someone an incentive not to get vaccinated, 100%. it's that. I'm afraid to get vaccinated. Why would I bother? It, it seems to be at sharp odds with the goal of getting people vaccinated. But then there's this, this other thing, which is children under the age of 12 who aren't particularly susceptible, but who are in school and who have developing brains And we don't care about recent studies that suggest that adolescents wearing masks all the time may experience some long-term developmental challenges associated with learning the kind of social skills that we all had the opportunity to learn because we weren't forced to wear masks throughout the entirety of the day while we were inside and perhaps even outside on the playground with our playmates. How does a four-year-old figure out if someone is good or bad? Well, I mean, obviously, if they have dark skin... I mean, that's we're talking about Matt's kids because that's Matt's, yeah, yeah. that's Matt's, Matt's as a kids. joke. Yeah, yeah. As a doll study. Uh, yeah. I, don't <laughs> I don't know if uh, they'll get it. Yeah. They the doll study was just performed on the Welsh kids. <laughs> yes, actually. They need to see people's expressions. They, that's how you kind of like figure it out. That's a cognitive thing. It's uh-huh. not like that's why they're so demonstrable with their expressions. Yeah. Yeah. Making this up. And they got to look, they're looking for clues yeah, yeah, sure. and cues. Right. And then, and, and they're just still just like developing their, uh, ability to speak, which I've apparently lost, but like, um, <laughs> uh, that's like important and it's not some small thing. And again, with the, like the, the argument of, Oh, what's, what's the problem? Just wearing the mask a little bit longer. 
So there is the very serious um, and always discounted, I think, a problem of that. Yes, it's help. It's hurting their development. They're also um, being given the the message um, and have to be internalizing it because kids, they listen to what you say, but they watch Ooh. and learn from what you do. And what adults have been doing have been absolutely fucking up evaluating mm-hmm. risk just yep. on a basic level. They can't evaluate risk. It's clear as, as uh, pertains to kids, but they're also treating kids and schoolrooms like biohazards mm-hmm. when they're basically the safest place that you can yes, be. Yes, provably so. Yeah, yeah. They're basically the safest place. So like, what have you been telling kids that every place is a fraught death machine, yes. especially when it involves you, even though you are, and it's not just like you're not predisposed towards getting it. Mm-hmm. It's like the numbers are a wipeout. The wipeout. The six-year-olds like mine in the next room um, uh, is not going to get it. She's just not going to get it. And of course, by saying that, she's going to get it, but um, like statistically not at all. And she's been wearing a mask for 20% of her life. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of crazy. It's Mar- crazy and terrible. Yeah. Mar- I mean, to, to, to the point, one quick thing on that point of yeah. like, like the catastrophizing the kids do is that um, Levy got her ears pierced and we were in a rental car in um, the hotspot of um, Southern Florida. And she knocked the back of her earring off that she just got on July 4th. The earring fell out. And I saw be a patriotic. Ear, I, ear, so I don't uh, know her. It's it is actually an ear, uh, an earring of an eagle ripping the head off Jimmy Carter. Nice. Uh, nice. It was it was hard to find, but we got yeah. it. Um, but she looked at me and she said the back for the earring fell out and just started like I've never seen her so upset. And I was like, babe, what's going on? I'll find the earring. She's like, eh, eh, no, it's it's going to close. It's going to close. It's going to close because it was painful when she got it. She didn't like it. Yeah. And the reason is because the woman who did it was like you like in her, you have to put the you know alcohol. You have to do this or it's going to. They terrified her mm-hmm. and it came out and she was like, it's going to close. We got a race to Claire's and have it, you know, <laughs> a spike put in my ear again. And I'm like, babe, it's fine found the earring, put it back in. Everything was fine. But just that conversation. Now imagine that conversation every day that everything is a toxic waste dump that could potentially kill you. Yeah. It's, it's kind of bad for kids. It's pretty right? bad. And again, the, 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 the final point on this is that we always come out on the side of this of just like, you know, everybody calm the fuck down. If this proves particularly the Delta variant to be something really horrible, dangerous, you know, more deadly, ready to morph into the, you know, whatever next variant is, then we'll take it very seriously. But so far, the only thing I've seen is professional hand ringers hand wringing. Mm. And it's getting a bit frustrating. And the opposite of what kids do is what adults do. Stop fucking crying wolf. And I won't be like this because you've been doing it to me for a long time. You know, I've been, and, and as I've said a number of times, the beginning, I understood it because nobody knew what was going on. Yeah. But at this point, you're this, this trafficking in deliberate misinformation comes on both sides of this issue. Let's be clear about that. The size, the anti-vaxxer people, mm-hmm. it's so transparently dumb and a lot of people believe it. So it's, it's dangerous. I think, I believe that's true. Uh, how do you combat? That's a different story. But on the other side too, when the woman calls and say, you can't come over to the house. You're no. going to infect the kids and the right. kids are all going to die right. outside. Yeah, hysteria like, is generally bad. It's bad on both <laughs> sides because you have a little but more the, science in your back pocket. Doesn't mean it's good. The trouble is when the professional hand ringers are the CDC and the American yes, Academy right. of Pediatrics and various other prominent persons who are supposed to know better, who are supposed to believe in science, as they say, 
like that becomes a real material problem. I was reading a piece in the Hill yesterday and I'll, I'll give you a little bit, a little bit of it and it won't shock you. Mark Scalise, professor of pediatrics at the University of Minnesota Medical School, supports requiring masks for all children despite their vaccination status, saying that children make up an increasing percentage of new cases as more adults and seniors are vaccinated. Again, the most vulnerable populations are getting vaccines. So if there are fewer number of people overall, then kids may make up an increasing percentage. But how many more? I don't know. Whatever. He doesn't bother to say. What he does go on to say is, quote, we need to value and cherish the lives of these kids. You this, motherfucker. This idea, <laughs> you motherfucker. This idea that children are resistant to COVID-19, that they don't have serious diseases with COVID-19 is I'm so I'm so tired of hearing that because it's just simply not true. One, nobody says that they don't ever get sick. Yeah. No one says it's impossible for them to get sick necessarily. But it is incredibly unlikely. And the the data bears that out and this article itself indicates the next line that the CDC has documented almost 500 deaths among children during the pandemic. Now, Matt, I'm sure you can add a little bit of context to that 500 number. There's been a total of 650,000 deaths of Americans uh, under this pandemic. That, almost that children, what does that 500, not that mean? children uh, number means people who are also uh, measured uh, between 18 and 24 between zero and 17 it is 337. It is below 350. I mean, so my girlfriend remarkable. is a child? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> that's a joke, people. That's a joke. I it's swear. not a joke. I swear Always. It's, it's not a joke. Always has been. Uh, it's yeah, true. The, the numbers. <laughs> it's it's true. really a joke. The, her name is Lolita. That was the first one. More kids under 18. <laughs> more kids under 18 have died of the flu. Um, and, and like nobody was dying of the flu um, in this period because everyone stayed away from each other and wore masks. But still more kids managed to die of the flu because it just doesn't. Uh, impact kids. And again, the Delta variant people, um, uh, it's not a people who are of the Delta variant, so there's a mm-hmm. comma in there, yeah. um, doesn't uh, so far appear to affect different populations differently than the underlying COVID did. And what did we know and learn about the underlying COVID effect on age distributions? We learned, and you can see this online, Johns Hopkins, New York City, everyone, that the people who catch it last, they're five to 14. They are 17 to 24. They catch it less. They're less infectious of it every time. Um, they are also the ones who suffer from it the least as well. And so if they are getting it in higher percentage, as Camille was alluding to before, that's because the people who are old have gotten vaccinated. Great. That's cool, right? Like there's no uh, increase in number that we've seen uh, that's measurable of kids who are suffering and dying from uh, yeah. And this should this should shape policy. And it's not. And uh, and it's going to become this thing like Emily Oster pointed out today, the great um, professor who's written a lot about education and COVID and schools and such. Um, what this will do, in effect, is it won't change the target audience behavior. Target audience from the CDC's point of view is schools in red states. They mm-hmm. want them to mask because they're afraid that the red states are not masking enough. Um, those schools are are not going to pay attention to this in any way that's going to change things. Um, the places that are going to mask more as a result. And also just to say this about Rochelle Walensky, she said this today, the CDC director, mm-hmm. consecutive sentences. We think that there should be universal masking of everybody who goes into a school. Um, next sentence. We also think that it's very important that school be open full time, seven days a week or five days a week in person. Mm-hmm. Dude. 
those two sentences are at fucking tension mm-hmm. because what happened last time you got in there and mucked out uh, a, 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 an idea uh, fear mongered about the infectiousness of classrooms. That was in February of this year. I'm sure we mm-hmm. talked about it more mm-hmm. than once where they said there needs to be six foot on average of social distancing between people in the classroom. What happened then? There was a direct cause and effect of school districts stopping their reopening. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, okay. So yeah, you're we saying yeah, we can't, this yeah. is like a germ bath. Okay. We're, we're going to, sorry, we're not going to reopen after all. So mm-hmm. those two things are just not going to work that way. The people who are the most likely to shut down school district anywhere in this country are democratic polities, school districts, um, uh, cities and states. And they are going to react to this by creating rules that is going to make hmm. that's going to make it easier for these things to shut down. It sucks. It really, really sucks for people who live in places where there's a likelihood to shut down public schools. Again, that'll be a third consecutive year fucked up mm-hmm. by bad policymaking by people who did not believe the science in air quotes. They yeah. actually did not pay attention to where people were concluding from the epidemiology. Somebody wrote us a message. We talked about this on the Patreon when I was saying that people who said everybody who's vaccinated and goes inside and the other, everyone, they should all be masked anyway. And I said, you know, you're essentially anti-vaxxers. You don't believe the vaccines work. You're a version mm-hmm. of the quote unquote pro-science mm-hmm. anti-vaxxers. Mm-hmm. There's another version of this too. And because, you know, where they, where they line up pretty closely, because what you're talking about Matt and what you what I've heard from a lot of people I heard I had a conversation with somebody in Texas about this today about the Delta variant is we don't know we don't know what's going to happen we don't know what how bad this is we don't know this that's true it's true kind of it's true right yeah it's it we have some numbers about this now we don't know but that's always the case right yeah and who else says that all the time Anti-vaxxers. We mm. don't have any yeah. idea right. what this is going to happen down right. the line. We don't know. This Long could kill COVID. us. Right. Long COVID. This could do this. This could do the other. I mean, the, actually, the best response to that, I think, is uh, Sam Harris had on that doctor who's really annoying on Twitter, Topol or something. Topol. Oh, Eric Topol. Uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, he's really. But he, he he's a smart guy. And uh-huh. he, he said something which was really smart. Um, he said, you know, the people that say this don't realize that in the history of uh, testing of vaccines, Every complication we've ever had with a vaccine has uh, manifested itself within the first, first month or two, two months. months yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's an important point that he made. And I don't I can't speak to the other stuff he says yeah, on mRNA vaccines may be different, maybe which different, is fine. Maybe different. Is I don't, there could it, be some long term risks that we don't know about yet. That is entirely true. Who knows? Right. Yeah. There's I mean, he had some interesting answers uh, to that, too. And I'm, you know, more on his side uh-huh. than I am on the. But this thing of like, we don't know. So we can't. Right. Right. It's like, look, right in front of me, I have this. This is nothing. What is in my hand here? The vape. Right. Right. The thing that helped me quit smoking. All of the people that were going through the bands, this we don't know what it's going to be like in 10 years. Yeah. We don't know what this is going to do to you in 20 years. We don't have these long term studies to which one doctor and university professor I talked to said to me, if everybody who quit uh, smoked was on that, we would save literally hundreds of thousands of lives a year. And we know that to be true. But they're saying, well, we don't know down the road. What could it be? And there's people doing studies where you can kind of speed this stuff up and look at things in, in, a, in, a, in a broader perspective. But that is what we see on both sides of this COVID debate is that we should be frozen in fear of the Delta variant and whatever the next variant is. <laughs> I think we should be very, very keenly aware of it. And especially when you see that it's the transmissibility is much more aggressive than the previous variants. Oh, no. But let's pay attention to this. But let's not, you know, shut down life and everybody, you know, swaddle themselves in masks again. That doesn't seem yeah. logical to me. Yeah, there's there's policy that 
I'm not a doctor. To, well, sure. I mean, there's policy that has to happen in circumstances that are like, you know, emergency pandemic circumstances where you don't have all the information sure. and you there's profound uncertainty and we have to make guesses. And when we don't know how COVID is transmitted, sure. I can un- understand why there's bleach everywhere and we're cleaning mm-hmm. all the surfaces totally. yeah. and we're worried in particular about, say, the, the transmissions that are happening maybe between asymptomatic people and symptomatic people. We know much better now. And mm-hmm. we're operating as if we don't, don't. know yes. that yes. that That's right. is bizarre. That's and correct. that is not, you know, the precautionary yeah. principle. Absolutely. This is like a policy driven by superstition, mm-hmm. not even speculation, superstition. It's people are choosing regarding the science. People are choosing to cling to that superstition. And that's, yeah. that is, it's, it's profoundly disconcerting yeah. and, and it's profoundly disconcerting because there are legitimate risks associated with things like pandemics and future pandemics. And it's, I think also and indicative this of this, yeah. this crazy thing where Fauci and Rand Paul have been having this, you know, prolonged beef about gain of function research and whether or not Fauci actually helped to fund gain of function research and whether or not he's been lying and misrepresenting this in Congress. And I will say, I think Fauci has been playing fast and loose with the facts here. He knows that there are plenty of legitimate researchers who will look at what that research is that we've been talking that that um, Rand Paul is talking about with the grant, the six hundred thousand dollar grant, six hundred thousand dollars at least that was earmarked for the particular Wuhan lab in question over six years. So one hundred thousand dollars a year. This is what we're debating. <laughs> um, he knows that this is something that plenty of people would refer to as gain of function research. And, and most recently, he seems to be talking about this in a way that suggests, look. This is important research for us to do. Are there risks associated with it? Yes, but it would be irresponsible not to do this work. I think that's a fine conversation to have. But instead, they're yelling at each other, calling one another liars. Rand Paul is, is, is suggesting he's going to incarcerate the man for lying to Congress. It is all about the performance, the theater, mm-hmm. the finger pointing, mm-hmm. the masks, showing that you care more about this than anyone else, and no real consideration about the general effect of degrading confidence, of not making any progress towards actually figuring out how to protect people in the future. And for whatever reason, Moynihan, I thought you were going to make a turn when you mentioned vaping to the World Health Organization, which today came out urging world leaders to issue warnings about the harmfulness of e-cigarettes. Ah, oh, yeah. yeah. Based on what data? Yeah. Of course. I mean, you can, of course you can find any data to, 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 to prove anything, but I, I want to create a new law. And that's uh, not vaping related because everyone's heard this <laughs> rant from me. But the Godwin's law of um, Hitler, right? You know this yeah, one. Uh-huh. The invocation of Hitler means you've lost the argument, right? I, people, or that, and also that it's inevitable that inevitable any that, online, yeah, online yeah. uh, conversation is going to end there or come to it. Yeah. Um, I think that we need a COVID version of this. Uh-huh. And that is the version uh, which both sides are affected by of the moment in the debate where you call somebody um, or accuse them of being guilty of murder or being, (laughs) or being, you know, handmaidens of murder. Yes. Early in this, in this uh, conversation, you had guys like, I was it John Ioannidis uh, from Stanford Uh uh and a couple of other people that were, you know, sort of dissident. I I interviewed a guy from Yale um, and I can't remember his name. He was a really fascinating guy. And he wrote something, the New York times said, you know, is the, is the, um, you know, prescription worse than the disease or something. That was kind of the headline. And it was a little inflammatory, but the piece was less so. And he went on, um, Brian Stelter show and was absolutely harangued by, I think, and I'm just off the top of my head, m- maybe Donald O'Neill, the guy from the times who got fired. Oh, McNeil. Mick McNeil. Yeah. McNeil, who is like harangued by him. 
And everyone accused him of being a potential murderer. You're murdering people with this information. And these are people who are looking at the data and coming to different conclusions. They're honest people. I met him. He was like a commie lefty Bernie Sanders guy. And he was like, I don't know why the Fox News people like me now. Um, you know, there's the Alex Berenson's of the world who are less trustworthy, I would say. Yeah, but there, there are people. John Tierney had a, a great piece in this in City Journal about a week and a half ago uh, talking about these specific cases, your Yale guy, I need his Stanford had multiple ones and the overwhelming overcorrection by their own institutions. Yes, Stanford yes, had yes, like a, yes. a, a multiple signed letter about uh, like, wow, we, he's, he's terrible. Well, there, were, there, there was a Jay Chakraborty or something. There's another guy there. There's a couple at, at Stanford. They were like, there's a nest of spies at Stanford. It was like the Ware group uh, with Alger Hiss. They, they, there was a whole bunch of them. They got really upset about it. And that's the thing on that side. And then, then just to add like on the other side, it is the Rand Paul saying, you know, Dr. Fauci is a murderer. Uh, everybody's a murderer, right? Everybody's a murderer. And like the, the, the kind of conformity that that breeds and also like the, the cartoon villains, like, sure. Like you can see Rand Paul is a very like transparent about his political, um, kind of, uh, framings. Um, you can see that he and a lot of other people like, and Thomas Massey is another one. Like mm. we got one in Fauci. We can organize our fundraising against Fauci. Fauci, there's plenty of things to I dislike Anthony Fauci. I'm not a fan of of how he has behaved in this pandemic. And I don't Can you do an impression of him? <laughs> Michael, I don't have the vocal fry that's oh, yeah, just yeah, ready yeah, to go yeah. like some people do. These guys got this fucking COVID. <laughs> Is he a I mobster? mean this uh, this fucking <laughs> cocksucker over here with the COVID, you know. I literally can't. I don't even know what he's saying. Oh, that my would God. be a better Fauci. Yeah. Like Tony the, Soprano would be a better yeah. a better Anthony Fauci. Yeah. I can actually believe that. I mean, who would who who wants to not listen to him? Hey Rand, I tell you to go fuck Look, yourself. Christopher, go fuck yourself. Christopher. <laughs> Um, I, I, I can't do any impressions. I should never do any. Wait, impressions. I didn't know about the WHO vaping thing. I'm not going to talk about it, but what yeah. the fuck? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Go find it. I, I mean, can find that. You want to, you want to hear Dr. Tedros talk about this. Dr. Tedros. He's great. Was, yeah. was he telling you from, uh, from his dacha in Wuhan? <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That we guy is, don't know. that guy is really a piece of you work, know. isn't he? Um, you know what we didn't, we talked about, we've talked about a bunch of stuff and there's a couple of things I want to get to. I do want to talk a little bit about the Capitol January 6th thing, because I want to, I want to offer a $10,000 reward. And I will get to that in a moment. Um, but I'm, I'm remembering we, we could pivot to January 6th quickly, or I have a surprise. Oh, do you want a surprise? God. I want the surprise. All right. I'm going to give you a surprise. Oh no. Okay. Here, here it comes. Oh, here it comes. Here it comes. Surprise, surprise. World exclusive. World exclusive. Last year on May 25th, a cell phone video was shot oh. in New York City's Central Park. In the video, you see a woman with a dog. She's wearing a COVID mask, and she's in a wooded area of the park called the Ramble. Would you please stop? Sorry, I'm asking you to stop. You see her notice that she's being filmed. Sorry, I'm asking you to stop. Please don't come close to me. And she walks toward the person with the camera and repeatedly tells him to stop filming her. Sir, I'm asking you to stop recording. Please don't come close to me. Please take your phone off. Please don't come close to me. Taking pictures, calling the cops. Please, please call the cops. When he refuses. She says she's going to call the cops, and the guy who's holding the camera actually encourages her to do so. Please call the cops. Then the woman says, quote, I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Please tell them whatever you like. I'm sorry, I'm in the ramble, and there is a man, African-American, who has a bicycle helmet. He is recording me and threatening me and my dog. 
There is an African-American man. I am in Central Park. He is recording me and threatening myself and my dog. And my Music's great. I'm sorry, I can't hear I love you. Music. I'm being threatened by a man in the ramble. Please send the cops immediately. Just a few hours after these two strangers argued in Central Park, more than a thousand miles away in the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, another cell phone video was made. And in it, you see a cop kneeling on the neck of a man named George Floyd. Almost immediately, these two stories bled together into one. This is an illustration of why George Floyd is not uh, an isolated incident. Amy Cooper knows there's no respect for black citizenship, and she can pick up that phone and she can say an African-American man who's an innocent birder in Central Park is threatening her because she knows what's going to be visited upon him uh, and what's been visited upon us for generations. It's important for us to remember that what happened to George Floyd is what Amy Cooper would have wanted to happen to Christian Cooper. What she did is tantamount to attempted murder. I think about Emmett Till. I think about Tamir Rice. He's not here. The elevated panic in her voice, the performance in order to to heighten the situation. The performance. Amy Cooper chose to weaponize white tears. Amy Cooper, the dog walker, she became the ultimate symbol of the Karen, the female busybody oblivious to her white privilege, using it to endanger the life of the man holding the camera, a black bird watcher named Christian Cooper. After those 40 seconds of video went viral, Amy Cooper's shelter dog was taken away from her. She was fired from her job. She was threatened and doxxed by thousands of strangers. After protesters gathered outside the district attorney's office in Manhattan, she was charged with making a false police report. So-called Karen laws were proposed in New York and California, banning 911 calls that were perceived to be racist. Amy Cooper fled the country. She remains in hiding. In the meantime, Christian Cooper was celebrated on MSNBC, CBS, and CNN. He used the experience in the park as inspiration for a graphic novel that was published by DC Comics. He made an incredible contribution at a really important moment. Cooper was even interviewed by then-presidential nominee Joe Biden. I know you didn't do this to make a national point, but the truth of the matter is people went like, whoa. But new information has come to light that raises some questions about what happened that day. And more importantly, how the story about it came to be told. Was the treatment that Amy Cooper received in the midst of what is now commonly called our cultural reckoning on race based in reality? Or was this another case of a rush to judgment and of misplaced outrage based on a video taken out of context? Today on Honestly, Camille Foster asks those questions. He walks us through the details of the story that were left out of the media's narrative. And he sits down to talk to Amy Cooper, who has not spoken publicly since last summer. So stay with us. So this is the first four odd minutes mm-hmm. of the the collaboration between us here at the fifth column mm-hmm. and Barry Weiss and Andy Mills at their their new outfit. Um, and you will be able to hear podcasts next week. I don't know what day of the week, but next week. Um, with myself and Barry and the interview that I teased some weeks ago with Amy Cooper 
and we will allow Amy to have an opportunity to do the first what one might expect. Cooper. This this is really the first material yeah. interview with Amy Cooper. She's yeah. had some conversations with like CNN who managed to get her on the phone in the throes of yeah. like the craziness. Um, and she made, I believe, some public statements early on with the help of some PR people um, about all of this. But this is the first time extended that interview. she's yeah. had an extended interview. And we talked for about three hours um, and you're going to get a decent chunk of that in the conversation with Barry and a lot of key moments um, will be played during the conversation with Barry. Um, But we will also have a subsequent release on this podcast where you will be able to hear extended portions of that interview um, as well as some additional context, because there's a number of things that, you know, I don't necessarily talk about in the the production with Barry, some of the legal implications here um, and and the things that we learned about the, the court case, um, that that Amy was forced to fight and also some of the implications with respect to Christian Cooper and some of the revelations that have, that I guess we were able to uncover that other people were simply not interested in uh, for complicated reasons. And, and that's an important point that they weren't interested in. You say that very specifically because they had access to it. They and had we access know, we to know it. That for a fact. Yeah. 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 And I mean, when, when we talk about this, it almost sounds like, you know, this is a conspiracy, you know, the yeah. media wasn't paying attention. They wanted to lie. It, it's actually, it's actually much worse than that. There's, there's two things that seem to have motivated people to not pay attention to certain aspects of this story. There's a tease here. Willful ignorance, i.e. this is, this is the narrative that seems most important and whatever those complicating details are, they don't really matter. If, if he'd had prior altercations with other dog walkers, even in the weeks before he had an altercation with Amy Cooper, that isn't relevant to the story here. The story is this white woman who called the police, who's performing, whose mind we can read. We know what she was thinking when she picked up that phone. Or it's fear. We don't want to be the ones to complicate this narrative in the midst of this racial reckoning. And in many, many instances, it's fear. For that to be the case, for the truth to to be a victim to fear and convenience is, I think, devastating. It is devastating. And the implications for the mainstream media broadly are, are, I think, huge. This is one story. This is one woman's life. And we get to put some context on it and shine some light on it. And I don't, I don't suspect that everyone who listens will feel that Amy Cooper has been completely redeemed at the end. And that wasn't, that wasn't really the goal of this project. (laughs) It wasn't at all. Um, But if you don't learn something, I will be astonished. But I think there's probably only two people here who might not learn something about it. And it's probably Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper. I uh, I did reach out to Christian Cooper. You did. Send him a note. um, And I'll provide more context on that later. And as of yet, I haven't heard from him. I hope that changes. Yeah. So look, I, I mean, I think the thing is, is that everything in this entire story is based upon the two words African-American in the fact that it's said three times. It's said at the beginning with a bicycle helmet, which sounds more like a description of mm-hmm. African-American with a bicycle, bicycle helmet, then it just becomes African-American. And that is curious, right? There is something. And I remember when this happened, we actually did the first episode about this with a guest on the episode. With Barry. With Barry Wise. Yeah. And I remember positing just kind of maybe it's this that um, her response, and I think she's denied this to you, or maybe her not representative has. Barry, but not Amy, Barry, that, yeah. that, that uh, Amy Cooper has, is that it seemed possible to me. And even if this isn't true, it should have been something the media thought about was that by saying that in a moment in the sort of post 
you know, sort of George Zimmerman, Michael Brown moment. And the idea that if a cop is told that a black person is there, they're going to come with a gun out and maybe do something bad. And that was the threat. Not that she was a racist, but the cops were. That's the first thing that I thought mm-hmm. is that maybe she's doing this. If I tell the NYPD right. there's an African-American here, they're going to come and they're going to fuck you up because they're racist. Not because I am, because they are. That was my assumption at the beginning. And you can listen to this and see if that pans out. I don't think it does. But, <laughs> but one of the things that I took away from what I've heard of this, and again, I haven't heard the final product of this because it's an ongoing thing. You guys have been working really hard on this is that the media angle on this, which is essentially what you would expect from this podcast, is fairly interesting because it's not a rush to judgment. I always think that's a, a bad phrase for it. It's a rush towards a narrative. And anything that complicated that was basically thrown to the side. It can still be true that everything that you thought about Amy Cooper prior to listening to this podcast or getting more information remains true in your brain. That is fine. Mm. I'm totally fine if you think that. You know, I might even think that. Who knows? But the broader context of this is that, you know, this was a short period of time where something happened that the first thing you always have to ask, when did the video start? That's the first thing I always ask, because, you know, what the LAPD said in 1992, and this is in Lou Cannon's book, Mm -hmm. um, what is it? Official negligence, I think it's called, Mm -hmm. was that the LA context, the Rodney King, the Rodney King, the Rodney King beating in 1992 in L.A., what the LAPD said and, you know, Timothy Wind and, you know, Stacey Kuhn, all these guys said, well, you didn't see the whole thing. The first bit of the video, you see at the, the very end of it, he's charging us. He's actually mm-hmm. attacking us. We we hit him with a uh, stun gun and he doesn't go down. It's like 80 bazillion watts of power. He doesn't go down. He's probably on PCP. You need that context to know that we're actually innocent, right? Okay. Does that change anything? I, In my mind, no, it doesn't. It was unbelievably excessive. Mm-hmm. There's the Covington Catholic thing. And I didn't think that anyone at this moment seeing that was like, okay, so what happened before this video? This is a man who just walked up and she started crying and freaking out. I don't know. I mean, maybe we should know a little more about that. And that is, I think, what, you know, a podcast like this, that sort of ex post facto evaluation of it is useful for. Where did the media miss a couple of narratives or, or threads that could have contextualized this and maybe made it more of an interesting and true story? That's yeah. the thing that's interesting. Yeah, and why, why don't we have any interest yeah. in what happens in the 40 seconds before? How, how can we? after the number of mistakes that have been made in circumstances yes. like that keep doing this where we arrive at convenient conclusions. To be clear, you don't know what happened the in the 40 seconds before either, do you? Well, I know, well, a, hell, you know, I know a hell of a lot more yeah, now. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Okay. I know a hell of a lot more now. Okay. Yeah. And, and I think there's, there's, you know, again, when we listen to that like montage of clips at the very beginning, you know, of course they're cherry picked in the sense that this is a produced piece, but they're really pretty representative of what was being presented in the mainstream media. I'd forgotten about Joe Biden, man. It was all, but, but there was a great deal of speculation on, about what Amy was thinking, <laughs> about what she definitely What's meant and implied. Why am I here? And about the nobility of Christian Cooper. Put him on a leash, I guess. Yeah. So <laughs> corn pot. anyways, there'll be, there'll be more about that. And, and I do think, I do think it's interesting. I mentioned a little earlier when we were first getting started here, that that trial um in Atlanta of the shooting suspect mm-hmm. was actually reaching a new phase in that he's been sentenced to life without parole for four of the shootings. And around that narrative, when it first went wide, it was all, this is a hate crime. This is definitely a hate crime. We know there's nothing to talk about. I remember when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris went to Atlanta for 
what was supposed to be like a regular trip anyways. And they made comments about this very quickly. We went away from talking about, you know, mass shootings or mental Mm -hmm. health or any of those other things. And they talked almost exclusively about race Mm -hmm. and hate crimes. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was constant. And there was a bit that happened here today that seems really, really relevant to that particular narrative. And it's in court, in court, the district attorney saying explicitly, this was not any kind of hate crime. Like, did the you just prosecuting was not district attorney. any kind of hate crime? The guy said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got yeah. a sentence. Axios' summary of it is here. The six of the eight victims in the shooting were Asian women. Cherokee County District Attorney Shannon Wallace told the judge, quote, this was not any kind of hate crime, unquote. Long is still facing a hate crimes enhancement in the trial in Atlanta. Given the extraordinary emphasis on hate crime, extraordinary emphasis, and the yeah, explosion was, of concern like, yeah. around again Asian violence that was purported to be, you know, this, this anti Asian violence, violence. But maybe it's Asian violence too. I don't know. Since we're just making shit up, apparently, like this, this it's important that they keep managing to get these things wrong. And in their error, they don't in care. their error in their error they they create and manufacture a great many other stories. And then they find all sorts of other stories that seem to confirm their, their impulses and concern. And it makes me think about something that happened in the January 6th hearing today. Well, you, (laughs) this is is the transition I want, I wanted to go Uh, to because um, you said something earlier today and I'm very interested in this um, because I want to make some money. I like making money. Um, I'm not always sure that I'm going to have money tomorrow or uh-huh. I'm going to you know, get my next meal. Hand to mouth, Camille. Uh-huh. And I think that maybe I could feed myself okay. for a month. If, say, you gave me, I don't know, 10 grand or something like that. <laughs> In what context, Camille Foster, would you give me Michael Christopher Moynihan $10,000? Could you give me some idea of how could I earn that from you? Mm, well, yeah. let's let's set this up, right? So the House <laughs> House Select Committee is holding <laughs> is holding hearings today. They they are they are they are hearing testimony from several law enforcement officers who were involved in defending the Capitol on January 6th when people who have been described variably as insurrectionists as an unruly mob or terrorist. something else, as domestic terrorist, as white nationalist, broadly speaking, even though American Al Qaeda, there, the nine eleven, they, they've been described yeah. as many as many things. Yes. Um, and the testimony that they gave today was was pretty gripping, stirring stuff. A guy who yeah, was yeah, pleading sure. for his life, telling people, you know, I have kids because he was so so concerned that he might be killed. Like it's 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 mm-hmm. serious stuff. And the the principal debate that's happening in the country is between sort of the left and the right, where the left has a particular view on things and the right is vacillating between this is Nancy Pelosi's fault because there was insufficient security there that day and he didn't take this seriously enough despite the fact that there were warning signs and she this is no big deal. It, this, is, <laughs> this is complicated. I, I think at least there's at least, huh, there's at least a, a kernel of truth in there in the sense that there were early warnings and that they were not responded to, obviously, in a sufficiently Ooh, serious by President way. Nancy Pelosi. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, and fingers have been pointed at many people, the mayor of DC, yeah. the, the chief um, uh, who's responsible for the Capitol police and DC police. <laughs> and, and of course, Donald Trump. But, but beyond that, there was a particular gentleman who gave testimony today. Mm-hmm. So I want to, I want to play a little bit of this, actually. This, this Capitol police officer, Harry Dunn, 
he he makes a particular claim that has, I think, in some respects, appropriately seized the imagination of many journalists and the attention of many Americans. One of the most upsetting, distressing moments today came when Officer Harry Dunn, uh, who's a Capitol Police officer, described some of what he heard uh, from the crowd. Um, let's play some of that. I have to warn our viewers that the language here is is upsetting. I told them to just leave the Capitol. And in response, they yelled, no, man, this is our house. President Trump invited us here. We're here to stop this deal. Joe Biden is not the president. Nobody voted for Joe Biden. I'm a law enforcement officer, and I do my best to keep politics out of my job. But in this circumstance, I responded. Well, I voted for Joe Biden. Does my vote not count? Am I nobody? That prompted a torrent of racial epithets. One woman in a pink MAGA shirt yelled, you hear that, guys? This nigger voted for Joe Biden. Then the crowd, perhaps around 20 people, joined in screaming, boo, fucking nigger. No one had ever, ever called me a nigger while wearing the uniform of a Capitol Police officer. Here's the thing. I don't know that this man is lying. I don't. I do know that a claim that a group of maybe 20 people were screaming racial epithets at you in the nation's capital on this particular day is, I mean, that's a, that's a serious charge. Possibly like, more. The I mean, extent, the sound of what would appear to be 20 people could be 30. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's a lot maybe of people, it's not right? all of them, but it's a group, it's a large group of people and people are doing this and mm-hmm. it, it seems like it was sustained for sure. a while. This is a claim he's made repeatedly, but here's what I haven't seen. I haven't seen anyone corroborate this claim. Mm-mm. And he's testifying in front of Congress now. And this is part of establishing a particular narrative. And we're being told that, you know, we, we don't want to politicize things. This isn't about politics. Like, but do we care if it's true? Are we curious about whether or not it's true? It's not as though we haven't seen a Jesse Smollett kind of situation before where someone says something that is, you know, horrible. They make an allegation that something terrible happened and it turns out it didn't happen. And with journalists, like that old dictum is... If your mother says that she loves you, you should check. Just verify that that's true. Especially some of us here. This is yeah, your responsibility. Yeah. This is your job. Yeah, Camille's mother does love me. <laughs> and this, is being, <laughs> this is being presented as objectively true kind of everywhere. In fact, when people have suggested that it might not be true, they've been ridiculed. Has, it, has, has somebody Chris, come out and yes, said that on, maybe well, this is just it? I, I saw a clip of Tucker Carlson suggesting that this man was a, 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 a person who was a partisan, like aggressively partisan. And it is I mean, it's true that he has photos of himself with Nancy Pelosi on his Twitter page back in like 2019. He was putting up posts about how racist and awful America is. He has opinions and views. That's fine. That doesn't insist. That doesn't necessarily suggest could, that this didn't could, happen. Could still be true, yeah. But it's not inappropriate to scrutinize claims like this, especially in a circumstance where there's so much video. ProPublica has, has, has gathered how many hours 
of footage. The, I mean, the FBI, it. who has, I mean, they are, I mean, this is like 100,000 Zapruder films that they've gone over with a fine tooth comb. And this, I wonder, this I mean, has be this Zapruder film? One would, this would be it. Yeah. The one, one would, with him screaming the N, it's with people screaming the N word at a black man on January 6th after the year of racial reckoning. It's, it's hard for me to believe that supporting evidence for this claim actually exists. Mm. And if it doesn't exist, should that have some implication for the way that we cover these stories? And the I don't way think I would have stopped, by them? the way. I, I wouldn't even have, you know, caught my breath on it if he said a woman in a MAGA shirt said that. And that was it. Okay. That doesn't surprise me. And primarily it doesn't surprise me because, you know, you have people at the Capitol that day with like, you know, pro Holocaust t-shirts on. Okay. That doesn't surprise me that somebody, it, when you get to the, the, you know, group of 20 odds, maybe higher people, including the person who initially set off this, you know, this chorus of, of racial epithets, uh, chanting this, then you're like, mm, okay. The only thing that strikes me that's odd about it is just like, one would have presumed that somebody else would have heard it, that a cop, that, 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 you know, exactly the ProPublica thing, that there'd be some footage of it. I mean, there's that ProPublica thing is like hours and hours and hundreds and thousands of hours. We could at least pinpoint as the FBI has done with like every person who went into the Capitol. I'm, I'm sure they have a name of everybody that went in there. Actual question. So I don't know. I mean, I, again, I don't know. I, it's, I can't disprove it. I can't prove it. But like, as Camille said, with the, with the Smollett stuff, a lot of other stuff, it's, it's a very tidy story, right? Um, and it could be true. It could be false. I don't know. And I would maybe do a little digging on it. I, I mean, this, I, this is, it's all, it's, I, I have no clue. We, we talked about this earlier, but, but back in the day, some, some, some years ago, not that many, John Lewis is on Capitol Hill and there's some sort of tea party rally and he makes a pretty important allegation. He suggests that these people were showering him with racial epithets and John Lewis being civil rights icon, mm -hmm. hero, genuinely, but he makes a, a pretty important claim. Mm -hmm. He insists that this happened to him, that someone called him a nigger that day. Mm -hmm. And Andrew Breitbart challenged someone to produce evidence that this happened and said, I will pay $10,000 to anyone who can provide the evidence that this happened. And I, I want to match that today here because quite frankly, <laughs> if, if this happened, I want to know about it. I want to see the evidence. Yeah. So I mean, personally, I will pay the $10,000 Okay, out of my pocket. Okay. If you can produce material evidence to establish that this did in fact happen. One would assume that today it would be easier because the sheer number of phones and cameras I would expect are, as are, much. are higher than they would have I would been expect then. as much. And yeah. back then already when Breitbart made that challenge, and I remember talking to him about it when he did, it was like, oh God, dude, that's, I don't know. But also yeah. you kind of have a point, which is that everyone has cell phones and this is a big public crowd of people. Yeah. And you're telling me that nobody caught this thing. I interviewed, yeah, I interviewed somebody who took part in the riot that day and I, I um, interviewed them. They were obscured and we filmed this in Arizona out in the desert. Um, he was very worried about his job and about the FBI coming for him. And we were actually worried too, because he gave us new footage that the FBI would subpoena it. And we would say no, because, you know, they don't have a right to that and a source gave it to us, et cetera. So when I looked at that footage, it was, and I still have it, by the way, that nobody had ever seen just this guy. It was crystal clear, like 4K shot with a GoPro. Very, very, you could see everybody's faces and all this stuff. Um, every, the thing that I noticed about every frame 
reminded me of the interview that I just read, <laughs> read with uh, Noel Gallagher from Oasis, who was talking about a documentary mm. he had made about the Nebworth show that they no, did. No. It was a very famous show. It was like their last big show, 96, 97. And it was 200,000 people had sold out. And he said, you know, you go back and look at the footage to make a documentary about it. And he said, the amazing thing is, is you look at the crowd and no one's holding up a phone. No, but oh, everyone's yeah. just entranced by the music because it's 96, 97. No one's doing this. And you can't look at a single show today. And you're lucky if you find one person that's not holding up a phone. Yeah. And you're like, oh, who's that weird dissenter? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I saw when I saw um, the footage this guy showed me. And again, this doesn't mean anything. This guy could have been in a corner of the Capitol where nobody was filming. Um, it's possible. It seems, you know, maybe unlikely that we wouldn't get a corner, like a little taste of it somewhere where where it was, what time it was, et cetera. Um, I mean, we have a, we have a, we have footage of a you know a woman being shot uh, and killed in the Capitol. I mean, we have, have a lot of footage, and I'm just wondering maybe there's something out there, and maybe it's true. Who knows? But I would be I a, interesting to see it. I have a factual question on this. It wasn't totally clear in his testimony that you played. Um, where were they at that moment? Do you know? Um, Don't think it's said. It, it's not. It's not clear okay. from that section of the testimony because he has given interviews in other contexts. Yeah. All right. So the it's known somewhere. I would assume that the United States Capitol building has some cameras, cameras. Mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. And was he wearing a body camera? There's that too. Probably not. I mean, if, yeah. if you're making uh, bold uh, statements about stuff. But I just wonder, like, uh, let's say just within the building itself, what do we think? I don't know. I haven't followed this very closely. I don't pay a lot of attention to it. Um, uh, but what do we think is the percentage of the interaction that happened, let's say the six hours when it was like rough mm. there are the five hours um, that was captured. Is mm. it 5%? Is it 90%? Mm. Probably like, less than five hours too, wasn't it? It was a pretty quick. Probably, yeah. Four hours, let's say five hours, like it, it, the, between two, some of it will be like the breaching yeah, 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 and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, of course. But like, what is the percentage? Like that's, that's the thing that I almost tweeted and didn't today because I didn't want to get in a fight and I was doing other things. Um, (laughs) But no, it was just mostly I didn't, I didn't have time to have a discussion with people on Twitter because it was an honest question. It wasn't like trying to get to an an honest question about this. Like, is it 5% or is it 90% coverage? Right. The Rodney King thing was pretty unique because a guy was recording it. That was weird. He got a camera as a gift. Uh, or he just bought it that day. I think mm-hmm. the day before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like just testing it out and the LAPD was like, let's beat someone today. Like it was that mm-hmm. frequent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just as there is in lower Manhattan where Camille used to live. Um, it is the most surveilled part of the United States mm-hmm. by a lot with mm-hmm. the exception of maybe some government buildings in Washington, D.C. as a result, result of nine 11 and a bunch of other stuff. So like, it's hard to not be seen doing a thing. There's camera somewhere. Mm-hmm. The NYPD, the amount of cameras that they have, I've talked to people who've been on the like viewing part of that. It'll curdle any libertarian's blood Mm -hmm. to know how much is being seen out there. So I want to know because if that happened in the building, which is an if, but even outside the building, you know, Mm -hmm. there's going to be some cameras there too. If it's 5%, okay. But if it's 70, if it's 50, if it's 60% coverage and there are 20 people and there's been a ProPublica and a bunch of other stuff. And none of those 20 people were rocking their phones. And we haven't gotten copies of that stuff yet. Almost all the cell phone coverage, from what I understand, has been ripped mm-hmm. at this point because it was all mm-hmm. like bouncing off the local towers and stuff. It was findable. Like people thought they were shooting private video. They weren't, especially if they were streaming it anywhere. So like the Breitbart challenge 10 years later is there's such a bigger dragnet. So, yeah, to to report that 
credulously should necessarily go to the next question, which was, okay, like how much is that possible? Some some sort of casual qualification might be appropriate. And I am confident that this will be taken out of context and misrepresented in a dozen different ways. So I'll just say explicitly, this isn't about proving that the man is a liar. This is a question about, and this is a media criticism podcast, as we've said many times in the past, this is a question about journalistic ethics. How do you cover a story like this when there's like some actual uncertainty about these things? Is it okay to just report something as though it's a fact? Is it okay for certain categories of claim to be essentially beyond scrutiny? Well, particularly in the Trump era, when it was made fairly clear that if because somebody makes a claim and if, if that claim is either demonstrably false or something that you can, you know, isn't easily checkable, that you include that in the coverage. You say, well, we don't know that this is true. We want, we're not going to just blindly report everything that somebody from the, the Trump universe says. And I think that one of the important things about this is to say that, look, if a video, you know, pops up where this is exactly what happened, that's possible, right? And Camille, you know, cuts that check. You know, congratulations. <laughs> I hope it's me. I'm going to have to uh, authenticate it. Yeah, yeah. That's some, right. con- some conditions yeah, apply. Yeah, no deep fake shit from you. It's all <laughs> Tom Cruise up there turning into Bill Hader. I've seen those videos. But <laughs> if that is true, then the same thing applies here that I think that I said, uh, and I think all of us said at the day of or the day after, that these people should be publicly shamed mm-hmm. to a point that they aren't really allowed to have a nice life anymore, because that is one of the most repulsive things that you can do on two ways is that to, to, if for that to be an actual response to, to, for that to be an actual response to a cop, it's a uniquely bad person. When, when you say that blue lives matter and then all of a sudden a blue life doesn't matter because the person's black. And if that were a Capitol Hill cop protecting people that you actually like too, the fucking, you know, Louis Gomerants of the world, and they're going to protect Donald Trump too, if they have to, it is a uniquely bad thing to do. And I would hope if that video came out that those people's lives would be ruined. I'm happy. I'm happy if that happened. I don't care I, I would if also, they want to come, if they want to come forward and be contrite about it and say, Oh no, you know, here's what happened that made me, there is literally no way under any circumstance, no matter how much I, you know, I love drinking. I've been uh-huh. doing it all day today or how much you know, <laughs> drugs I've taken that uh-huh. I would ever in my life, decide to say that to a Capitol police officer surrounded by cameras in the middle of the fucking Capitol. If you've done that, you're a knuckle-dragging buffoon who deserves to be shamed forever. But let's see it. And I'd happily do it if there's the pink MAGA shirt lady. I'm sure mm-hmm. there was quite a few of those. One of the things that- actually Michael Richards. That's who did this. <laughs> yeah. That's what happened. Yeah, it's Kramer. <laughs> that's all. Yeah. Um, it's just a little, there were little flummoxed. But there's, you know. a, there's a thing also in that, which I suppose you can defend in a way, where he says that these armed protesters- yeah, this was this was in the original interview. He original referred interview. to the protesters as armed. He said, you know, there were were dozens and dozens of cops that were down, which I, I don't exactly know what that means. But it just yeah, he says dozens, yeah. meaning twenty four plus who were down on the radio. And a number of his to armed armed protesters. There's like now, some hyperbole in a lot of places. Sure, and what you can say to sort of sort of slip out of this is say, you know. Did you not see the hundreds of protesters armed with bear mace and things? Like, but, you know, the implication when you're giving that interview to ABC News right after the thing happened and Nancy Pelosi herself said it was an armed insurrection. Yeah. That implication is, of course, you know, weapons. Well, he handguns. explicitly says I could have been shot. I could have been shot. Yeah. Yeah. So already we have something that is curious. 
because from all the videos I've seen, we have people were arrested that day. I think that had uh, weapons in their car. Doesn't surprise me. These are a lot of like Second Amendment types there that brought them in D.C. and it's you know complicated to do that in D.C. But as far as people attacking the Capitol with drawn guns, I haven't seen it. And maybe I've missed something, but I think that I would have seen it, you know, ad infinitum if it happened. So already this is kind of a uh, an account that sort of conforms to a pre-existing view of it. So as I yeah. said, don't know if it happened, don't know if it didn't, but um, would like to see if it did, you know, some video of it. Ne- nearly everything we've talked about today, like kind of contains a, a similar, a similar sort of element like this, just the theater, the presentation. Like mm-hmm. that, that attribute, the framing of the discussion, the, the guilty parties and the innocent parties, the, the demons and deities, like all of these stories, like seem to have that. We see that in like COVID and the conversation about like to mask or not to mask and whether or not mm-hmm. the data ought to be driving those decisions or something else. We see it with the January 6th co- conversation and whether or not, you know, mm-hmm. is it an insurrection? Is it not an insurrection? Is this political? Or are we just re- after the facts here? Quad, I told you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we see it's it. It's the beer hall putsch. <laughs> <laughs> we, we see it even in the Olympic stuff. You know, is it mental illness? Is it is it nerves? I mean, is it whatever? Are we allowed to talk about this? In, in That's every all we're talking about here, by the way. It becomes a, it, are you allowed to ask That's questions That's all we're trying, trying to say here is where we want to talk about this. And I, I mean, don't think we're allowed to talk about it. And, any of it. and similarly, like with the Atlanta shooting, like this is a mass shooting. This is something that should concern us. Th- what happened to this kid? Like it matters. Yeah. Was he going to a church that was sort of sufficiently whose whose doctrine? And I don't know that this is the case. I'm interested in knowing. Like, were there things being taught there in a particular sort of way that that are potentially harmful to people? Mm-hmm. That might be harmful to people who are kind of uniquely vulnerable. Like, I don't know. What do families do when they find themselves in a circumstance where someone close to them? is maybe going to do something dangerous. Are there meaningful conversations that can be had about that? None of that shit happens. Instead, it becomes, well, this is about racism. This is obviously a hate crime. And if you're not willing to admit that or talk about it, something is wrong with you. You in might every just single be one of these circumstances. The DA of a successful <laughs> in case. every single one of these circumstances. Yeah. And, and, and in similar, in similar, in, right. in a similar way, right? Like it's, it's not unlike the Fauci, and Rand Paul debate. Is it, is it gain of function research? Is it not? It's not unlike the debate that preceded that. Did this leak out of a lab or did it not? Can we even talk about that mm-hmm. openly? Always be skeptical. And I think that, you know, we probably spend too much time telling people to be skeptical of things, but I hope you take some lessons away from this. Du- and are actually, skeptical. actually yeah. skeptical, not cynical, but if a Except bunch of people of who are obsessed with, you know, say something we've talked about a lot recently is at the top of my head here, uh, CRT, oh, right? No. Oh, if boy. they say that, Fucking you know, this is a whole episode without mentioning CRT. No, no, but I, what, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm talking about, yeah. uh, the, the Canadian retirement, uh, uh trading <laughs> trust, trust. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's a thing. Uh, what did you, I'm sorry. What did you think I was talking about? Oh, you're about? right. No, that's great. Whatever it might be. If it's something that conforms to the pre-existing narrative and they're giving you a perfect pat example of it, maybe you should arch an eyebrow. 
Mm. And that's pretty much the case in all of these things, because when you have a dominant ideology right now that says, and this is when it comes to sports, we talked about in sports, whether it's Nike, whether it's people turning their back to the flag, whether it's people uh, you know complaining about textbooks, whatever it is, there is a particular Ibram X. Kendi type sort of idea that is kind of pushing into all of these areas, right? Mm-hmm. And when you have a bunch of events that kind of fit nicely into that, mm-hmm. uh, maybe wonder, hmm, is that because that person is right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it is. Maybe it's because everything they said we've missed before and this is correct. But also arch that eyebrow and say that if conservatives are saying, here is what's happening, all these horror stories that come up on Fox News or but, but whatever subject it might be, and it happens to comport exactly with this new ideology, with this new idea that I've been promulgating everywhere, right. then maybe you should say, isn't that a bit perfect? Right. That's a bit too it's a bit too tight and perfect there. And that doesn't mean it didn't happen. People, of course it could happen, but is it wrong? Does it make you a sort of morally dubious person? Does it mean that you, you know, harbor a set of negative views about X, Y, or Z if you wonder if it is true, right. because all of a sudden, the thing that you're supposed to do as a journalist is to, as you said, question whether or not your mother loves you. And in my case, I don't think that's true. But when <laughs> so I questioned it and I found out it was wrong. To investigate. Yeah, I, I, I have the results of my investigation. But if you are supposed to have that arched eyebrow as a journalist and say, hmm, mm-hmm. let me quit. Why are we abandoning that? Because yeah. we're afraid or because we know it to be true, because we know the, the sort of current voguish ideology must be true. And here's another example of it. Yeah. Just be skeptical of these things. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person or you're doubting this person's story. I will raise questions about it that seem a bit odd, but I would do that for anything. Mm-hmm. And don't fucking tell me that that's not true. I would absolutely do that for anything. Mm-hmm. And whether that is, you know, something that matches up with what I believe or, you know, is sort of opposite of that, who fucking cares? Yeah. The truth on this situation might be complicated. It's consequential when the truth is actively obscured by our preconceptions, by our determination to believe something that is convenient, that fits our priors. And it is a serious systemic fucking problem when the whole of the media industry like seems to be operating along those rules. And the, the, the upshot of the Amy Cooper thing, which folks will be able to hear soon, the, the thing that I want you to take away from it is just consider that this story took place, this encounter took place in a, a city that is almost certainly the place that has the highest concentration of journalists per square mile. Yes. Like there's no, this New York City is the center of the journalistic world. And for them to miss the mark on a story that was covered exhaustively by so many journalists at so many, so many different institutions in the city and beyond. But the Metro desk at the New York Times has got to be huge. How did you miss some of this stuff? They, there's a lot of stories that people want to miss. And I see people that I know that we're all friends with pointing out one thing recently, for instance, I, I think it was a Detroit Daily, a Detroit, what is the paper? Not the Daily News, the, the uh, news. Detroit, Detroit News. Uh, did with an, some polling agency, I can't remember which one, that was talking to people in Detroit about cops, right? About do you want more cops, fewer cops, yeah. et cetera. In, in this uh, poll, along with a bunch of other ones, said, no, 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 we don't. This is like activist stuff that you see on television. We all want, you know, more policing or better policing. We don't want to defund it, et cetera. 
I got the aggregation of these stories from various people on Twitter and on various local news sources. One would assume when you see these kind of broad pieces that the New York Times does saying like, you know, big think pieces that somebody would actually come forward and say, remember that thing we've been talking about for the past year and a half, two years, a year and a half. Um, It's a little more complicated than that because we're talking, you know, as people in a newsroom in midtown Manhattan. But, you know, the people that actually live in Detroit don't actually think like us on this. Let's explore that. I haven't seen a lot of those stories. Mm. And there's enough information, enough data now that one should aggregate it and say, okay, so what's actually going on here? I mean, are they lying? No, of course they're not lying. It's sort of by omission. Like, okay, let's just ignore that. And, and that is the thing that people don't understand about media when you go into Trumpville. It's everything. Like, they're lying to you all the time. They're not lying to you all the time. Sometimes they lie to you, but they're not lying to you all the time. They're just ignoring things that might sort of work against certain narratives. And that's always been true. And, you know, it's your job to fight against that. And it's your job also not to fill it with other bullshit narratives, which they tend to do, of course, is a lot of other bullshit narratives. But, you know, don't ever think that there's a constant stream of lies. It's a constant stream of things that they're ignoring. And that's, that's, you know, I have so many examples of this that, I mean, look in the, you know, Camille just mentioned the, the, the thing in, um, in, uh, uh, Atlanta a person, not, a, not a hate crime, right? You know, wall to wall coverage. And it should have been covered because it was a brutal, big mass shooting. Shocking. If one of the videos that I had seen in the past week, one, and I've seen five of them and I showed Camille a couple of them because they just popped up in my feed when we were talking yesterday. Um, of brutal assaults against Asian people had happened in Gross Point, Michigan, with some sort of waspy looking guy coming from the country club. You would never, ever, ever stop seeing that video. Yeah. And it's not that those vi- the videos that you see on Twitter are not getting wide play. And it's not because, you know, one wants to have them played because of a race issue. It's just a narrative thing. It just doesn't quite fit. So let's just kind of ignore it. Yeah. That's not surprising. It's 200 degrees. It's 200 degrees. Let's so get turn it's on that fucking, fucking machine. Over it's like, there. Don't, don't turn it on. Tell me. No, should. you should, but people should hear it. Oh my God. The fan. Okay. Oh, this is so what we do. Hot. This oh is my what God. we do for you. We did for you. Oh. Shut off the fan so that we cannot. Yeah. I mean, literally this is like being in a Cambodian work camp. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's terrible. Not that there's anything. You know, it was terrible no, no, in the seventies. It's too hot. Late seventies. Yeah, it's too hot. Early seventies was fine. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. We know of new methods of attack. Trojan horse, the fifth.